On the night of March 12, 1942, amidst Japanese shelling, General Douglas MacArthur escaped from Corregidor in Manila Bay by PT boat. His destination was Del Monte Airfield in Mindanao, from where he boarded a B-17 and headed for Bachelor Field in the Northern Territory. From there he was taken by train to Alice Springs and then going on to Adelaide. On the 20th of March, the train on its way to Adelaide stopped at a small township called Terrawee, about 220 kilometres north of Adelaide. And it was here that MacArthur made his famous speech. I came out of Bataan and I shall return. That promise was repeated on numerous occasions. And more than two years later, MacArthur waded ashore at Latte, October 20th, 1944. And in his speech, he said this, People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. What was it that brought hope and inspired courage to the people of the Philippines during those dark and dangerous intervening years? It was, in a very real sense, this promise of this man, MacArthur. I shall return. The disciples of Jesus were troubled. Anxious, fearful, apprehension filled their hearts. Jesus was leaving. But Jesus drew near. He knew the worry they were experiencing, and so he spoke of faith. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. Rest in me. Believe in me. And then he spoke of the immediate future. I go to prepare a place for you. And then he added this hope-giving, courage-producing, joy-inspiring promise. I will return. The Gospel of John, where this morning we continue to look at this 14th chapter. John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I go, but I will return. My friends, here is comfort for troubled hearts, words for worried minds, because what, what is implied here in these words of Jesus? Resurrection. Resurrection. Jesus is alive.
He is risen. He is risen indeed. The great theme of this day. This resurrection day. This Easter Sunday morning. Jesus speaks of his coming departure. He speaks of his crucifixion. He speaks of his work of preparation. But death could not hold its prey. For up from the grave he arose. He arose, almighty to deliver. And so the promise he makes, I will come again. My dear friends, this morning, here is the future that is assured. The future that is assured. You see, in the words of Anthony Hoshima, every book of the New Testament points us to the return of Christ and urges us to, to live in such a way as to be always ready for that return. And this, this promise of return, this is a cardinal doctrine of the Scriptures. It's the word that he, that he gave to his disciples on countless occasions. I'm turning in my New Testament to Matthew chapter 16. To Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27. Here is Jesus with his disciples. Matthew 16 and verse 27. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The Son of Man is going to come. When Jesus would address the Jewish council, what were his words to that group? I'm going to Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. Mark 14 and verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What then were the words spoken to the disciples at the ascension of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and the 11th verse. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus you knew, the Jesus you walked and talked with, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the theme brought out by Paul in his epistles, particularly as he would seek to comfort the saints. It was the message of John to the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And in light of that, particularly the emphasis of the book of Revelation, John is given to see the glorious portraits and pictures of Christ in His glory, in His coming, in His future, and that which will yet be. 
The future is what will banish their fears. Christ's promised return is therefore a comforting doctrine to the saints. This, as I've already alluded to, was Jesus' application here in John 14. And it was also Paul's concern for the saints there at Thessalonica. They were worried about what would happen to those who died if Christ would come. What would happen to those who had fallen asleep in Jesus? I'm turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. What does Paul say? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, my friends, here is our wonderful counsel. For authoritatively, yet gently, he commands his disciples here in John 14 and verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Have you ever realized that this is a command? Here is a declaration to address their descent into despair. Let not your hearts be full of fear and worry and anxiety. I will come again. Which implies that I am in control. Which implies that I am the sovereign. Time is in my hand. I am the resurrection and the life. So hold on to these truths, my friend. Feed your faith with these facts. Turn worry into worship by resting upon these words of the Apostle and believe in Him who spoke so wonderfully and so tenderly to us Himself. I'm thinking of His words recorded for us by Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Here is what the Saviour would say to you this morning. This is what he says to me this morning. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Here we have a future assured. Fears dismissed. We're in the hands of the Father. But once again, we have to ask how Jesus can bring such counsel and such comfort to these men in John 14. Well, the future that is assured rests upon the foundation that is implied. Our Lord's reasoning here is, is the very reasoning of the Apostle Paul when he was before and addressing those philosophers recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 17. I'm turning to Acts 17 and verse 31. Acts 17 and verse 31. And the Apostle says, because he has fixed, that is God, he has fixed a day upon which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What's Paul's logic? God is going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world by this man, Jesus. And the assurance of that, the foundation for that, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He speaks of future judgment upon the foundation of resurrection. And so while Jesus speaks of crucifixion, and then jumps to the promise of his return. He is implying without doubt or hesitation what comes between his resurrection. A fact 
frequently declared by him. For as he would speak imperatively about the must of his crucifixion, inseparably linked to that is his must of resurrection. And this is a fact that, that Paul illustrates in 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter that deals with resurrection. I'm particularly thinking of what he says from verse 20 to 23. Beasley Murray, on his work on the resurrection, speaks of these verses in these terms. First fruits recalls the first sheaf of the green harvest being waved at the Jewish Feast of Weeks as a token of a, a greater harvest that is to come. The Feast of Weeks actually coincided with Passover. Thus Paul may have been conscious that Christ rose from the dead about the time when the sheaf of the first fruits was being offered in the temple. As the first fruits, Jesus is the guarantee of the harvest of life to come. Our hope of resurrection from the dead is therefore anchored in and founded upon Christ's resurrection. So Jesus' words, I will come again and take you to myself, are his proclamation and promise that what happened to him will happen to all who believe. That His resurrection is the promise of ours, the very thrust and theme of 1 Thessalonians 4. The resurrection is therefore a great theological truth that is anchored upon the foundation of a major historical event. And this is a fact we must never forget, that Christianity is a historical religion. It is anchored in space, time, and history. For the Christian faith and its proclamation to a lost and dying world rests upon the conviction and conclusion that Jesus did stand up again. The meaning of resurrection. And such was the convinced conviction that the early Christians invited public scrutiny of their claims. Once again, the allusion to 1 Corinthians 15. Read verses 3 and 8. And you'll see there they hold out this, this invitation to unbelievers. Look at the evidence. Examine the information. Consider the event. And furthermore, the early Christians were willing to die because of this fact, this foundation, this truth. Think with me for a minute. How many people would willingly suffer horrible torture and agonizing death because of something which they knew was simply a myth and a man-made lie. Would you do that? Would you endure horrible suffering for something that you knew was just a fabrication? 
would you? I doubt it very much. Then why did the early saints suffer and die? Were they stupid? Were they senseless? No. They believed in him, a historic person who actually lived and died and rose again. Belief in the actual physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead brought comfort and hope and joy. But it also brought a sword and a spear and a scourge. My dear friends, what God has joined together, his crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the I go and I will come again, let no man put asunder. Because you see, what is the gospel? The gospel is how Christ Jesus died according to the scriptures. That he was buried according to the scriptures. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. The future that is assured, his return. The foundation that is implied is his resurrection. And so thirdly and lastly, the feeling that is fulfilled. The feeling that is fulfilled. You see, it is clear that the resurrection, which gives rise to Christ's return, is meant to, to satisfy and pacify the concerns of Jesus' followers. His words here in John 14 were designed to bring hope. And such motivation was behind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, where, amongst other things, he shows us that the resurrection answers the longings of our heart for forgiveness. Verse 17. It shows us and provides for us the answers, the desires of our heart for someone we can trust in. Verse 14. That, that Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. It shows us that the resurrection answers also the yearnings of our heart for meaning and significance. Verse 19. That life is not pitiful or pointless, but it is of great value and of great significance. And so the resurrection of Jesus fulfills the, the feelings that we all have for life. Not, not just to merely exist for a period of time, but to really enjoy and experience the fullness, the richness, the abundance of life. Look at those on the Emmaus Road. Luke 24, 21. They wanted to see the right triumph over the wrong. They wanted to see the good triumph over evil. They wanted to see the justice triumph over injustice. And this is what the resurrection guarantees. To remember what Paul said to the Athenian philosophers. 
the resurrection will give rise to the day of judgment. Uh, dear pastor, acquaintance of mine, now retired after many years in ministry, Dr. Robert Rayburn tells of a collection, a recollections rather, of a woman who'd been an inmate at Auschwitz. This particular day she was crowded into a cattle car for the journey to a labor site. Listen to her words. She says, one morning, I think it was morning or early afternoon, we arrived. The train stopped for an hour. Why? We don't know. And a friend of mine said, why don't you stand up? There was just a little window with bars. And I said, I, I, I can't. I don't have enough energy to, to climb up. And she said, I'm going to sit down and you're going to stand on my shoulders. And I did. And I looked out. And I saw paradise. The sun was bright and vivid. There was cleanliness all over. There was a station somewhere in Germany. There were three or four people there. One woman had a child, nicely dressed up. The child was crying. People were people, not animals. And I thought, paradise must look like this. I forgot already how normal people look like. How they act. How they speak. How they dress. I saw the sun in Auschwitz. I would see the sun come up because we had to get up at four o'clock in the morning. But it was never beautiful to me. I never saw it shine. It was just the beginning of another horrible day. In the evening, the end of what? But here was life. And I had such a yearning. I still feel it in my bones. I had such a yearning uh, to live and, and, and to run, to just run away and never come back. To run to the end where there is no way back. And I told the girls, I said, girls, you have no idea how beautiful the sun is. And I saw a baby crying. And a woman was kissing that baby. Is there still a thing as love? I had such a yearning. We all do, don't we? We can't help it. We all feel that we were made for more than this. More than we have attained thus far. My friends, the God who gave us such feelings, such yearnings, such longings, who made us the way we are, is the very God who has made the way for all such feelings to be fulfilled. And they're fulfilled through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That because of that event, Jesus says, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we're encouraged, therefore, the very words of the Apostle Paul, 
I'm turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal wit of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares, this, this is not all there is. There's more, there's much more, there's much, much more. Jesus comes to us as the resurrection and the life. And yet sadly, a great many people have no thought of Jesus rising from the dead. Like Jesus' followers, their hearts are troubled. Like those in the Emmaus Road, they have lost all hope. But Jesus came to them. Jesus came to that one in the garden. Jesus came to those men in the upper room. Jesus met them and the encounter transformed their lives. And therefore, my friends, this, this resurrection morning, why not ask him to come and meet with you? Look to him. Look to him to give you life, to lead you in his way, the way everlasting, to give you truth upon which you can trust and rest, to give you forgiveness of sins, to give you a future, to give you a hope, to give you the courage and the strength to, to make your way from earth to heaven, to know that the best is yet to be. For again we hear those gracious, glad words of Jesus. I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Beloved, this Easter, when the world is wrecked by worry, look to Jesus. Listen to his words. Examine his claims. Pray for his mercy, and let not your heart be troubled. Believe, and turn from worry to worship. May God bless his word to us this day. Amen.